What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Coffee with a friend is like capturing joy in a cup. Welcome to the Coffee with Jenny B podcast, hosted by Jenny B, a lover of all things coffee. Each week, Jenny will chat about connecting over coffee, what brings her joy, and everything in between. A lot can happen over coffee, so grab a cup, sit back, and enjoy. Now, here's your host, Jenny B. Hello and welcome to the show. I love Lizzo. Now, for those of you who may not know who she is, she's an American singer, rapper, and entertainer. She is bigger than life in terms of how she exudes energy, enthusiasm, and she's all about body positivity. She has a show on Prime Video. It's actually a series where she is auditioning girls for her big girls tour. And so she wants them to be backup dancers for her. And throughout the series, she talks about that it's more than just the choreography. It is putting themselves out there, showing up. In one of the episodes that I was watching, they were standing in front of this glass and she asked them to write on the glass things that they either say about themselves or that others say about them. And girls were writing you know, fat and opinions and a number of different words and phrases. And then she asked them to break the glass. And so the girls kicked the glass pane and it broke and they carefully stepped through the frame. And I'm watching this and for some reason I started crying. And I don't know why it affected me so much. And then I started thinking about how we talk to ourselves. You know, and I've mentioned in previous episodes about affirmations and, you know, if you have a negative thought, it's spot, stop, and swap. But I think it goes a little bit deeper than that. It goes back to perhaps when we were children and how we were spoken to and how how we're still dealing with that trauma. My guest today is someone that I really admire. I've been following her and I love what she is bringing to the world. Her name is Terry Hofford. She's a body image educator, photographer, and author. And Terry is going to share with us her thoughts on body positivity and also her thoughts about Lizzo and her show. So welcome, Terry. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us, First of all, I'd like, I'd like to know what made you start on the path of wanting to either learn more or educate perhaps us about body positivity? So I grew up as a larger child. I was definitely the fat kid in the class. 
So I learned early on how to lean into my personality and be okay with who I was. Um, I've always had a really good self-awareness and self-assurance that way. And I also am in the minority of people who have parents that also didn't really care about bodies in the way that a lot of parents care about bodies. So even though I was uh, removed from diet culture in my household, I was not removed from it within the world. So I was still bullied and teased for the size of my body. And I basically just had to choose like, do I want to just keep being myself um, or change who I am to try to fit the world? And so I decided it was probably easier just to be myself and be okay to be alone if I had to be. But I ended up with like one really good friend uh, who, you know, Stephanie, uh, who's been my best friend since like grade six. And that's what I needed was just one person to kind of hang out with. But then as I got older and kind of like went out into the world on my own in my 20s, I started traveling and things like that. And I moved to uh, Busan, South Korea, where the food is completely different. I was uh, super active because I didn't have a car. And I started to lose weight, not intentionally, but that in my 20-year-old brain, I was also like, oh, you know what? Maybe it is possible for me to achieve this body that I've been told I should achieve my whole life. And so I got into bodybuilding. And being super active in martial arts and things like that. And while I was in Korea, I actually ended up losing about 100 pounds, which is uh, extreme for my frame, first of all. But also looking back at it, I actually hated myself more after I had lost the weight than I did when I had the weight on my body because it was never enough. It was never going to be enough. I was never going to be small enough. I was, and then all of a sudden I had this privilege that I didn't have before that I felt I had to protect. And so I turned to some really unhealthy habits, um, taking diet pills, uh, starving myself, essentially developing really disordered eating behaviors and over-exercising. Then I moved back to Canada about two and a half years later. And um, at that time, my dad had actually gotten sick. And he uh, had pancreatic cancer, which if people don't know what happens, your body essentially starves to death. And I just remember watching my dad over the course of three months, like desperately wanting to eat, but he couldn't because his body couldn't digest it. And I was purposefully starving myself to just look a certain way. And I was like, uh, I don't know if I can swear on here, but I was like, that's effed up. Like that, like that's the self-awareness that I always had as a kid, that little voice in my head that was like, what are you doing? This is not, this is not okay. So that kind of started me on like, uh, on this, like let go of some of the pressure you're holding on yourself to maintain this body. But then what happened, because I was still in my 20s, uh, <laughs> my dad passed away, which was unfortunate. But because of that, I, I'm not real great at dealing with feelings. So I ran away <laughs> again to Scotland and got into some trouble over there, came home and the job that I had when I came back, I actually ended up working for a weight loss company. And that was kind of like after two or three years in that, I think it was two years I was in there, seeing diet culture from the inside. They literally told us that like we rely on 80% of people to fail for our profits. Like they literally said that to us uh, at a manager's meeting. And I was like, okay, I don't really want to be complicit in this at all. Because the reason I actually really liked the job at first, because it was about motivating and uh, empowering people 
in the way that I knew how then, which I thought through weight loss, but it was like, just like coaching people, which is what I do now just on the other side of things. I really enjoyed aspects of the job, but I did not like once I heard that I was like, I'm out. And then fast forward to, uh, I started doing photography and I was doing self portraits and things like that along the way. And I did a project and this is where like, I think my brain's always like two or three steps ahead of me. Like mm-hmm. where I, I'm like, I'm just going to do this thing. And then whatever comes of it, comes of it. And I did a project where I wanted to show that there's not one body type. And this was right at the cusp of the body positivity movement also becoming more well-known thanks to the internet. And in that project, I thought I'd get like 20 people, maybe come participate. There was going to be no Photoshop. You had like five minutes, come in, take off your clothes if you want, you can wear whatever you want. And all I needed was one shot. That was it. And I ended up with 75 humans between Manitoba and Saskatchewan that participated. But what came of that project was the messages that I got from people saying, even before they had even seen the photos, they were like, oh my God, I felt so confident doing the thing. Like I like coming into that space and like taking my clothes off for a general stranger. It was liberating. It was freeing. It was empowering. Like all these beautiful words kept coming out of these messages. And immediately again, I I followed my self-assurance and self-awareness to be like, this is where you need to go. (laughs) And so at that time, the only genre really where people could have photos of themselves, particularly women have photos of themselves, nude or semi-nude, was boudoir. And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of what got me into doing boudoir photography. And then it was being in the boudoir industry and photographing thousands of people over the course of my career Mm -hmm that I realized that everybody hates their body. So it can't be about the body. There was no person came into my studio and was like, I look amazing. And I love everything about my body. Take my photo that never happened in my whole career. So that got me interested in learning more about the psychology behind body image, because it wasn't about the body at all. And I basically just follow kind of like these little breadcrumbs that the universe put in my way, I say. I say, that sounds fascinating. Let me learn more about that topic. And then that brings me to now, which is where I realize like even the boudoir industry is upholding certain standards, beauty standards and things like that with the posing and that no longer fits with the work that I want to do. So now I'm evolving more towards the fine art side of things and showing bodies, just being bodies and existing in quote unquote unflattering ways because we've been fed this idea that unless you look a certain way, you shouldn't have a photograph of it. And that's just crap. So (laughs) I'm over it. (laughs) Essentially. (laughs) That's, you know what, that's amazing. Uh, And I love hearing the story of your journey and sort of the the trajectory of, you know, where you made those changes. And it's interesting you mentioned about following breadcrumbs because this is going to sound really bizarre, but I was writing a social media post actually yesterday about the idea that I love following breadcrumbs because it leads me to discover new people, new things, new opportunities. You know, I, I like to think like Hansel and Gretel that (laughs) well they weren't following they were leaving breadcrumbs but (laughs) the idea (laughs) but I find that interesting to hear about the fact that you were working for a weight loss company and I love that you were talking about that it was you know inspiring and you know motivational and so on but the idea that they want them to fail because you you want to think that they want people to succeed and I guess 
if people succeeded in losing weight, they would go out of business. So I, I guess yeah. I understand their whole concept of wanting to fail so that they made money, but I love that it didn't sit well with you. And so that you decided that you were going to forge out on your own. Yeah, there there was a lot of problematic things in the company, to be honest. Like uh, they, there was always a glass ceiling kind of thing. Like there was so many different red flags throughout that I wanted to ignore because the money was really good. <laughs> and I was like, just ignore it. But that's where that self-awareness, like that piece that leads me places, that same piece was like, this isn't who you are and this isn't who you want to be. So you need to leave here very loudly. <laughs> that voice was very <laughs> loud um, by the time I did leave because it was turning me into somebody I wasn't, which I think can happen, especially in your 20s. You know what I mean? Where you're just like, somebody tell me what to do. And you're like, well, they tell me I should want to make money. So this is where I'm going, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and, and uh, I think about that sometimes we're so hung up about that. It, it's not even so much the weight. I mean, you know, the weight is one thing that, you know, we, we think, oh, I'm too big, I'm this, I'm whatever. But it's also how we look in the sense that, you know, oh, I've got wrinkles or um, my hair is turning gray or whatever. And, and we look at those as being negative, right? We're, we're, we're getting old, you know, we're looking old instead of thinking, you know what? I deserve these. Well, not I deserve. I don't deserve any wrinkles, but <laughs> I've I've earned them through living a life. And I've I've got a strong body. And I think about what my husband said to me, because I've I've done the diet yo-yoing, you know, where you lose weight and you gain, you lose weight and you gain, which is very unhealthy for your body, as as you know. But he said to me one day, he said, just find the way you feel comfortable and just be healthy. As long as you're eating healthy and you're exercising. It doesn't really matter in the sense of whether you need to look a certain way. And and I've started thinking about that. I also think, though, like that's a very, well, the intention behind that message is good because we hear that one a lot. Like health is the new diet, essentially, <laughs> like this, this trying to achieve this pinnacle of health. But the thing is that still isolates people who cannot will never achieve that. And like, so there's a, this idea that we're still not worthy if we're not trying. Mm, oh, yeah. Right. And the thing is, like, people that don't strive for health or don't, you know, change, want to change their body or things like that, like, they are still deserving of love, dignity, respect. But as long as we keep putting these kind of pressures on ourselves, whatever it looks like, whether it's you need to look a certain way or you need to eat a certain way or move a certain way, it still pushes people to the margins. And, and in order for us to take any pressure off ourselves in terms of that, we have to understand that people in general, are worthy of dignity, respect, love, mm -hmm. and so on. And in doing it for the most marginalized people, we will do it for everyone. Mm -hmm. But it does start with those types of things because that's something like even somebody that was like in a fat body, I used to say all the time, we call it the good fatty syndrome is I'd be like, well, yeah, I might be like big boned. That was the words back in like the nineties. Right. But the thing was, I'd be like, yeah, I'm in a big body, but I eat healthy as if the people that are in big bodies that don't eat healthy are not as morally superior as I am. So oh. it creates this like morality assigned to our worth. Mm -hmm. And that has to 
be diminished as well. Because the thing is, we are all worthy of being loved and respect and being appreciated for who we are as people, not necessarily this meat sack that we're in, whether (laughs) it can do what it can do or what it doesn't do. That should not take away from us having the divine right to live our lives. I agree. And, And you're right. I mean, it's not fair to compare ourselves to others that, well, if I eat healthy and I exercise and I'm still a big girl, that makes me better than you because you're not. Or it's not even so much what we're saying to others. It's really what we're saying to ourselves. It's like we're, we're justifying the fact, well, you know, I eat healthy and I exercise, so it doesn't matter, you know, that I'm big. And then if you think about it, the one day that you don't eat, quote unquote, healthy, because that looks different for everyone, how do you feel? Mm-hmm. You feel you feel shame that oh I should uh, I should eat more salads or like crap like that that we've been taught <laughs> right like where we're like oh I I'm the problem that's essentially what I think like in order for us to make any sort of movement in this like body image realm we literally need to remove this idea that we are the a problem to be fixed and instead that we just are. And our body's going to change whether or not we want it to, because it's a biological organism. That's its whole design. Yep. <laughs> is it's simply responding to our environment, our stressors, our food intake, our movement activity levels, our genetics are 95% of it. Mm-hmm. Like it's lit- our body is science. Right. And that's the thing. We put these expectations on bodies that they should know about beauty standards. Like, how dare you not know that at this time in history, I should have like 10 inches between my hips and my waist. (laughs) Like, this is my poor body. She's like, I'm just trying to keep you alive. Like, that's my whole job. Like, thank me for that. (laughs) You know, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that that's our job is to make sure that we're looking after ourselves. We're staying as healthy as we need to in the moment, whatever that means, you know, and if it's, if it's healthy, you know, I'm going to have a cheeseburger and fries because that's what my body needs at the moment. And maybe tomorrow I'll have a salad just because I feel like it, not because I have to, you know, it's about feeding our body what we need in the moment and feeding ourselves. I don't want to say the affirmations, but feeding ourselves the, the good feelings, the ones that, you know, that we're, we're being positive for ourselves. Yeah, I always say like, go where the energy is, right? So like, when you think a thought, how does it make you feel like this is a thing we forget, like people forget that they create every thought that they have. Like nobody taught us this. So why would we know it unless you're listening to this podcast or like you read about it, right? But the thing is, like, every thought we have is a creation. So why are we not creating ones that like actually support us in that same way? Exactly like you said, but also, yeah, like taking it into this idea that health is very much a very well-rounded thing. If you're in the gym, killing yourself and, you know, treating yourself the way I was when I was bodybuilding, uh, I was very far from healthy. I had the worst mental health I've probably ever had in my life, aside from, you know, running, running a business. (laughs) That's this whole other thing. But like, but that's the thing is like, on the outside, we assume that health has a look. So you would have been like, oh, you're so healthy. And it's like inside, I was dying and killing myself. So was I healthy? You know, like, so that's why that whole idea is just like, no, it has to be 
Are you sleeping? Are you resting? Those of us that like to be productive, uh, don't rest ever. Are you taking care of yourself in the form of naps? you know, in the afternoon or having your morning coffee or <laughs> things like that. Yeah. And, and taking time for yourself, you know, in, in terms of either meditating or journaling or just doing nothing or sometimes, you know, taking Netflix or watching Lizzo's show on Prime Video. <laughs> yeah. Basically just being intentional about the things that you want to do, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, absolutely. And getting back to Lizzo. I'd love to hear your thoughts about her big girls show. And I love what she's doing, first of all, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on that. Yeah. So in the first 10 minutes, I started crying because bellies were jiggling, arms were jiggling. Uh, you saw cellulite, but none of it mattered. Like they were just living their best lives, doing something that scared the crap out of them. Kind of like what I tell clients when they come in for photo shoots. Like, it's not about what your body looks like. It's like, you did the thing. You stepped through the door. That's the hard part. But the way I felt when I first saw it, it was like, even though I am in a white body, I still saw my body represented. And to see my body represented on a main platform, number one, and in such a beautiful capacity is almost euphoric. And the thing that I've been saying about that is like, so there are certain privileges that come with existing in bodies that you do see in the media. There's a lot of privileges that come with that. But it's also kind of sad that they will never know the feeling of finally seeing your body represented. Like it literally is euphoric. And it is the same way when I first watched Wonder Woman, like the movie, that opening scene where it's just all these badass warrior women, like, you know, practicing or training or whatever. And I bawled. And I was like, what is happening? Like, why am I crying at this? I was on an airplane too, which made it awkward. But <laughs> I was like, I've never seen women like this on screen. Mm -hmm. And it was like that overwhelming emotion of that I get to live in a time where I'm seeing change actually happen, especially when it's in line with the work that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. It just like, is it's euphoric. That's the only the only way to explain it. And then watching the other thing that came out about watching Lizzo's show after having watched years and years of like America's Next Top Model and like other reality shows like that, it was amazing that it wasn't about pitting people against each other. It was about teamwork. It was about lifting each other up. It was about collaboration and creativity. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, we've never seen that before in a reality show. No. You know, my 10 year old self thanks Lizzo for that. <laughs> because, like, and I think that was the part of me that cried watching it was like, I needed that when I was 10 to know that my body was okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on that and, and, you know, feeling that euphoric feeling of, yes, I see myself represented. I see myself in those women. Right. And I remember there was one, um, and for those who haven't seen it yet, I'm not going to offer spoilers, but I just want to talk about one scene where the women were going for a makeover in the sense that they were getting their wardrobe and, you know, hair and makeup and all the rest. And the people that were um, going to do that were having a conversation. It's like, okay, so what kind of image are you going for? You know, what is it that you want to do? And there was one woman in the show who had blue hair and piercings everywhere and you know, her persona was that she's this really tough chick and very out there. And she wanted to continue with that. And, and they actually said to her, you know, what if 
you decided to go in a different route? What if we sort of not mute you, but maybe don't be so out there? And of course, she was kind of balking at that. And and they said, you are a powerful woman. You are a strong woman. You don't have to proclaim it to the world through the way that you dress and the way that you you are. You are that. You don't have to prove anything. So what they did is they they put a wig on. Obviously, they didn't change her hair, but she had a wig and she had this completely different wardrobe. And when she walked out onto the catwalk, Lizzo asked several times, who is that? Who is that? <laughs> and finally, they realized it was her. And she's like, yes. And she was like cheering and clapping. And that that was powerful for me as well, is that, you know what? We don't owe the world anything. We don't have to say, well, look at me because I'm I'm this and this and this, so I've got to be this. It's who we feel on the inside that matters. Yeah, definitely as somebody that developed like humor as her self-deprecating defense, I definitely realized over the last like, I would say 10 years, I've been coming more aware of obviously by calling attention to those things that hurts less when other people say them, right? So mm-hmm. Probably, I would assume for her, part of her dressing that way was like, well, if people are going to call me tough, angry, whatever the words that she had, she's like, fine, I'm just going to lean into that, <laughs> right? Almost this rebelliousness towards it and be like, I'm going to lean into it on as a defense mechanism, oh, I think. Yeah. Similar to me is like, well, if they're saying I'm, you know, I'm the fat person, I might as well be the funny fat person because that's like, that's how that is. That's the stereotype. So I might as well lean into that. Then I realized by doing that, like within the last, like I would say five years, actually, within the last five years, I realized, wait, everything I say, my subconscious doesn't know I'm joking, number one. So it (laughs) just takes it as fact. So if I'm making fun of myself for being clumsy or, you know, for dressing a certain way, or I remember even going pole dancing and making a joke about my thick thighs, like holding me on the pole or like it was a defensiveness that I would call attention to before anybody else could. Mm -hmm. And in the moment that I said that, especially at that pole dancing class, I was like, "Mm, you're not this person anymore, Terry. You don't need to say those things. Stop it. Just like show up, you know? And that really started me kind of like stripping away those types of things that I have to be so much this thing or so much that thing in order to prevent from being vulnerable, essentially. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, you know, getting back to what you were talking about in terms of your photography and not so much the boudoir, although you did talk about how people felt after they were in the studio when you're taking their photos, but talking about sort of like the fine art part of it, you know, so it's, it is art in in a sense of, of what you're saying, but the feeling of being vulnerable, and you're right. I mean, people that that come to get there, there nobody says, yep, I've got a beautiful body and I want to show it off and please take my photo. It's more of a, is she going to make me look good? Am I going to like what I'm going to see? You know, can I feel comfortable afterwards? And I think that after they go through that experience, like you said, they feel liberated. They feel, oh my God, I can't believe that's me. That's me. That's my body. That's, you know, I look beautiful and it's okay to feel vulnerable. And it's okay, like you said, to lean in, perhaps not to what we want to tell ourselves, but perhaps what we want to be in a sense. Yeah. And so that's where like in the photography industry, I realized like, so it's interesting, like the trajectory, this is where like sometimes self-awareness is like 
okay, can I just be consistent? But no, like I'm always like changing things. <laughs> so when I first was in boudoir, I'd be like, you could be anyone you want to be here. Like put on all the things, wear the makeup, put on the outfits, da, 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 which is fun. And some people need that at a certain stage in their life. But then within the last like year, basically since the pandemic and taking my own self portraits, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh no, I'm just covering people up. I'm just like taking them to the far part of it instead of sitting with them in the vulnerable space. Mm-hmm. Of, but what if I'm good enough just like this with nothing? Mm. Right? Yeah. What if I didn't have makeup on? What if I didn't have, you know, a fluffy dress on? What if I wasn't grabbing at my body sexually? What if I wasn't doing those things and I was literally just existing in my body? And that's terrifying for people. Yep. Because when we're existing, we're not posing right? We're not performing. Mm -hmm. And then you have to look at it and decide, what am I making that mean? Right. You're not defending yourself in a sense of covering up or like you say, pretending or or acting out a role. You're being vulnerable. You're being yourself in that moment. Yeah, it's hard. (laughs) I'm thinking, you know, I don't know if I'd be comfortable doing that. Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I tell people is that, well, to be fair, like the way that like I structure shoots or like people that have photographed with me, they definitely are like, you definitely make it more comfortable. I'm surprised I took my clothes off as quickly as I did is usually a comment that I get. Okay. But I think a big part of that comes with like expectations. Also me just putting my own body out there to be like, look at I'm still alive. Look at my husband didn't leave me. Look at like, uh, like the things that our brain says, like, oh my God, if people see that I have a stomach roll, oh, our brain's like, you're going to be alone and die. And so, which isn't true, but that's like the messaging we've received. And it's so deeply ingrained Mm -hmm. that we don't stop to go down that far to say like, what am I actually afraid of? If somebody was to see a stomach roll, Mm -hmm. like, is it that big of a deal? Actually, no, uh, no, <laughs> right? But we make things mean things that they don't have to. And I hear all the time, well, it wasn't my fault. My parent told me that when I was a kid, or somebody said that to me when I was younger. Listen, you're all adults now. You can make your own decisions, <laughs> right? And that's really hard. But uh, to acknowledge that, like, peace to it, you can blame people all you want. It's important to understand where it started so you can say, wait a minute, that wasn't mine to begin with and get rid of it. Mm-hmm not to keep blaming people for the acts that you are continuing to perpetuate. Right. That's the hard part for people is acknowledging what part am I playing in my own self-deprecation? Yeah, that's a good point. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. In terms of what you do for, as a body image educator, so do you do that at the same time that you're doing photography or is that a separate Yeah. So I do body image education as like specific education for photographers, first of all, like more of a consultancy type situation to help them 
know what to say or do for their clients to create an actual inclusive space. Because a lot of people talk that they want to photograph all bodies, but they don't educate themselves on the experiences that those bodies might actually have. So it's very important to do that work and confront and challenge our own biases and beliefs about bodies before photographing them for sure, because we will put our own assumptions about bodies onto other people. And I've done it. I'm not immune to this, which is why I was like, that's not okay. What am I doing? Just because I have an issue with my tum or my chin or whatever it is, doesn't mean my client does unless they told me. But if I don't ask, they're not going to tell me and I'm going to assume it. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. What happened for me was before I even got into shooting food where I had my own shoot done, and I, I was much bigger than the photographer. And when I got my photos back, all I got back were headshots. Oh, no. And I was like, the heck? Like, uh, I was missing my body, essentially. And the only thing I can assume, I don't know to be true, but I can assume because of what I've seen in the photography industry is that she maybe had an issue with her body image or her tummy. And because I was bigger than her was probably like, oh, well, she definitely doesn't want to see her stomach because we've been taught that big tummies are bad. I did not have a problem with my stomach until I did not see it in photographs. She chose that for me and I did not ask for it. So because of that experience, I was able to make sure and challenge myself as a photographer to say like, even though there's a true expression, a beautiful expression in the face or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. am I removing it simply because the body does not adhere to beauty standards the way I think it should? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I do that for photographers, but then I also, yeah, when I'm working with clients, definitely now um, my work has changed significantly before it was like, come in and we're going to have fun and we're going to, well, I mean, we still have fun. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) But like, it was just like really topical before, like what I find a a lot of boudoir can be for Mm -hmm. some people, which is fine because some people need that. That's what I'm very clear to say. We need people at all stages because people are at all stages. (laughs) But now I'm at a place where somebody had asked me, they're like, what was your favorite shoot that you've done in the like last year or whatever? And I was like, oh, the ones where my clients actually didn't like their photos. And I was like, wait, what? And I realized it was because it was more meaningful for me to sit with people and help them understand why they didn't like their photos than it was just to take photos. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so now for me, I've developed a very in-depth process essentially to understand what my clients are wanting from a photo shoot. I can set expectations about what they can expect from me and the questions I'm going to ask them about their bodies or their body image journey. And then I can also set expectations like you're going to see photos that you're not going to like, but I'm okay with that because I want us to talk about it because that makes change happen. Mm -hmm. Whereas, oh, good, I conform to the beauty standard. I don't think that does what I thought it did. No. (laughs) (laughs) It it lets us know like, oh, good, I do fit in with everybody else. I don't, that's not my, that's not my jam. I want people to be like, no, I'm okay as I am. I don't need to conform to what everybody else is. No, you're, oh, I love that. You know, and I love that you do that because you're right. I mean, if somebody's taking photos of me, and I look at them and it's like, oh, I don't like that because, you know, I'm, I see a double chin or I, I'm, I'm, so I'm criticizing myself in the photos and by not liking the photos, am I sending a message to myself that I don't like me? Yeah, hundred percent. And there's like a whole bunch of like psychological reasons why we don't like photos of ourselves that have actually nothing to do with our bodies. Like you're used to seeing yourself in a reflection. So when you see a photo of yourself, your brain's like, that's not you. 
at first because you're not symmetrical and it causes discomfort. Like hearing our voice on a recording at first, you're like, oh, oh no. But now you've listened to your voice like a thousand times on recordings mm-hmm. doing this podcast. Yep. And it's not that you're like, oh my God, I love my voice, but you're like, this is my voice. Yep. You accept it because you've had to hear it over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Similarly with photos, if we look at the photos that we dislike more and more and more, our brain gets comfortable to say like, oh, no, that is you. Mm -hmm. You were there. Oh, okay, Yeah. Sorry. I just had a different idea of what your map looked like. And so there's that. There's the expectations we put on photography, like photography just owes you a documentation of a moment in time. That's its whole job. Just like a quick snap and whatever happens in that moment is what happened like it or hate it it's what happened mm-hmm. right so that's where we can look at it and say wait what was i expecting because one of my favorite quotes from john maxwell is disappointment is the gap between expectation and reality mm-hmm. so what were we expecting and then what was the reality of the photo mm-hmm. Why do I think I have to look perfect and pretty and smiling in every single photo when my whole life and my whole legacy is not that? Mm -hmm. I tell my husband, like at the end of my, if I go before him, he has to like rent out a big space and call it the cemetery. And there will be every photo I've ever taken of myself, which is a lot to show all the different ways that I existed in all the different forms that my body took when I was mid jump or, you know, mid photo or like glancing or whatever, just to see that like being a human is complex. Yes. But we keep trying to package, especially those socialized as women, trying to package them into this pretty little pink package Mm -hmm. with a big smile on it and the right S curves. Right. And the thing is, Most of us don't have those. And so if you can look at the photos of yourself that you're like, well, it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, uncomfortable doesn't mean bad. It just means different than what you were expecting, right? So it's important if we can get used to seeing it, then it becomes easier. I still have a hard time seeing photos of myself. Don't get me wrong, because it took me 27 years to get here. It's not going to be undone in 10 years, right? Like it's going to take me the rest of my life to undo that type of preconditioning. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, I have to put that work in. When I see a photo that makes me, instead of throwing it away, I look at it and say, wait, let's build the context. Who was I with? How did I feel? What were we doing? What was the point of the photo? And say, that's all that photo needed to be. Mm -hmm. You didn't need to not have a double chin or not have a belly roll or stretch marks or your arm or whatever piece of yourself you look at. It is what it is. That's what it was. The end. Right. And like bring it to a neutral space. But if we throw it away, refuse to look at it, refuse to be photographed ever again, we will never fix that. No. Avoidance helps no one. No, you're absolutely right. And you're right. You're right in saying that it's a moment in time. It's a brief glimpse. It's a snapshot. And literally when I say like a moment, I'm talking like one eight thousandth of a second. Like it is, I can't even snap that fast. That's how how brief that moment of your life is. But we like take that one photo and we're like, I knew it. I never look good in photos. My body doesn't look good in photos. I knew it. And then we never take another photo again. And it's like, okay, had you taken another photo right after that, you probably would have been fine to see that you do adhere to beauty standards. Ta-da. Right. But. We're like dynamic humans. We do not sit in one position our whole lives. No. 
and our body shifts and moves and changes because it's biological. And so, yeah, I think the sooner we can just like neutralize all of that kind of stuff and stop making it mean something more than it does, the sooner people will feel more comfortable with who they are, whatever their body looks like. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And, you know, it's again, these things that we tell ourselves, you know, I, I remember once um, when I'm teaching my students, a lot of my students really loved the class and everything. And then one person, one person said something negative and I just obsessed about that negative thought instead of all the other positive things that came out of it. And my daughter said to me, it's like, why are you letting that bother you so much? Why are you letting it supersede over all the other positive things that came out? And I, I didn't have an answer. So negativity bias is the answer. Okay. So our brains are hardwired evolutionary to hang on to negative stuff more than positive. So basically for every second of negativity, that goes like immediately into your long-term memory bank because you're like, lizard brain is like, we're going to die if we experience that again. Didn't like that. Don't do that again. So we like lock that away. So we never feel that way again. Positive stuff is not necessarily, it's not detrimental to our life. It is great, but it doesn't really, like, it doesn't mean we're not, we're going to die. So it's not as important evolutionary. So it takes, for every one negative, it takes five positives to mm -hmm. undo the one negative, to neutralize it. That's not even like to get above. So when we do have that experience where like, 10 positive comments, one negative comment, you're like, oh my God, how could we? Again, we're making that mean something more than it is. And not just like on the surface level, like really deep in that subconscious. If we ask, what does that mean if they didn't like the class that I taught? Well, that means that I'm not a good teacher, mm -hmm. right? And then you're like, oh, and what would that mean if you weren't a good teacher? Oh, well, that means that I'll probably uh, get fired. Oh, <laughs> and what would that mean if you got fired? Oh, well, then I would be penniless and broke. And what would that mean? And then I would starve to death. And we, like, literally, if we follow the path down, it always ends up, I'm going to be alone and then I'm going to die. <laughs> um, is, our lizard brain just like hangs out with that as the whole thing. Right. But, that, but that's what's happening happening and it happens so quickly we don't even know. So that's where um, what I encourage people to do, like to counteract that we have to be filling up our cups with positivity stuff every day, like, and not in a toxic way, but just like, if you told yourself, no, I'm a good teacher, I'm a great teacher, like, look at this evidence, this pile of evidence of all these great testimonials that I have, da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. When somebody comes along and says, ah, and it probably wasn't even that bad of a criticism, it probably was just like, nah, it could have been better. And you're like, oh my God, right? <laughs> we like exaggerate the negative stuff because again, it's detrimental to our survival right. in our brain. So that's where if we have the evidence and we've been doing the work to say, no, 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 no. Some people learn differently. Maybe I could have improved this, whatever. But like, hmm, now I know moving forward, I'll just adjust that a little different because there are people like this trying to learn or whatever. You just can look at it from more of an objective viewpoint. But if we're not doing the work of telling ourselves good things or filling up our own cup, we're relying on other people to do it for us, which means it's a crapshoot. Mm -hmm. We're going to take whatever they put in our cup. Yep. Right. So some of it's positive, but again, negative stuff takes root faster. So if somebody else has had a bad day, you're going to take that and you're going to be like, oh, I guess that's mine now. Mm. But if your cup is already full of beautiful, positive things and somebody's having a bad day, you can literally be like, that's not about me. 
you know, you can look at it more objectively because you're like, no, I'm awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, absolutely. Or, or flossom, you know, like we're, we're awesome, but we have flaws. But you're right. It's, it's not about us. It's about them. It's, it's your thing. It's, it's whatever you're saying is what you're believing has nothing to do with me. But you have to come to a place where you can believe that. Whether it's looking at a photo or receiving a comment from somebody, you're going to feel some kind of way, mm -hmm. usually. And it's usually not a great way. We call it triggering, right? Or it's like, ooh, it gives yeah. you a feeling. Your heart beats faster. You get hot. You're feeling stressed. And you're like, oh, God, what has happened? <laughs> Either way, that's where you can do the work of saying, what am I making this mean right now? Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's bringing up something you believe to be true about yourself. Yes. Whether or not it is. I have like a 10 year old niece and she was helping me at the studio one day and she's like, is there a ghost in here? And I was like, well, if you want there to be a ghost, you'll hear a ghost. Right. This whole idea that if you want it to be that you will make it that the creaking of the pipes will be a ghost footsteps above. You'll assume it's a ghost, <laughs> whatever the thing is, you, because you have decided that that's what you want to see. Your brain will look for evidence to prove you right. Mm. Confirmation bias. All these biases are out there like against us. They're to help us, but also they get in our way. Yeah. So this is what I tell clients. If you're looking, if you're going into the photos, you haven't even seen them and you're like, oh, I bet you I'm going to look like crap in these photos. Yeah, you will. doesn't matter how good my photos are. You're going to see that you look like crap because you've decided it is so. Mm. And I set that expectation with them. But it's the same thing. If somebody comes along and comments something negative or says like, oh, your voice is screechy or whatever the thing is. If you believe on some level that that is true, you're going to be like, I knew it. It's evidence for the thing I already believe. It's your ghost. Right. right? So it's important for us to say, oh, that that stung a little bit. Do I believe that to be true? Mm -hmm. Because when we know it's not true at all, we're like, that's a silly thing for you to say, you goose. You know what I mean? Like that. That's a really weird thing for you to say right now. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't hurt at all. No. Yeah. So it's all just like our brain, like our evolutionary processes that are like, yay, survival are also like, oh, but like, yeah, contentment. No. <laughs> so basically, it's just all science. Oh, 100%. And this is why I love education, because if you can understand what's happening, then you know, like, oh, it's not me. It's like this little lizardy part of my brain. That means we could find a way to kind of work with it instead mm. of like assuming that we are the problem or that I deserve to feel this way or whatever. It's, no, it's biology. This is just what's happening. All right. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So before I end our session, which I've absolutely loved, by the way, what are your final thoughts on anything, anything that you want to leave our listeners that who may be struggling perhaps with their own body image and that lizard brain? So I always give people the homework of looking at themselves naked in the mirror for two minutes. Okay. And like, look at yourself, all yourself. And the reason why I say to do this, set a timer, two minutes is longer than you think it is. <laughs> but if you've done a plank, you know this. But the thing is, set a timer for two minutes and pay attention to what is coming up. Pay attention to hear the thoughts that are showing up in your brain that are like, ooh, oh, ugh. And then you can ask yourself three questions. Who taught me that? I wasn't born believing this. Somebody taught me. 
that tummies are bad or cellulite is gross or whatever. Who taught me that? Mm -hmm. Who's profiting from me thinking this way? Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. There's people that are profiting from you disliking yourself. Right. Usually not you and definitely not your family. No. (laughs) Right. So, okay, we could do four questions. So then the next one could be who could profit if I had a different thought? Who could profit if I embrace my body? You will. Right. Your family will because you'll be present. You won't be thinking about, oh, do I look fat in this? Stuff like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So that. And then the last one is what is a thought that I could have that will help me be the person that I want to be? Because it's all just thoughts. Thoughts create feelings. Feelings create thoughts. So you get a choice. That's the other thing that I would tell people because like lots of times people will see my photos, for example, and they're like, I can see your body is beautiful. I wish I could see myself that way. And I'm like, you can, because trust me, there's people on the internet that do not see my body as beautiful, (laughs) right? And I hear from those people. So that tells me that it's a choice though. Mm -hmm. People are choosing to see my beauty and they're also choosing not to, but that also means we have the choice to see our own. Yes. And so when you look in the mirror or at a photo of yourself, you have a choice to say, do I like it or don't I? Mm-hmm. That's it. And pick the pick the one that's going to help you become the more confident person or the person that you want to be. Mm. You have choice. You do. Yeah. And you know what? And those are powerful questions because I never quite thought of it that way, but you're right. Those are really good questions to ask. Who put that thought in our head? Who is profiting? Who would profit if we switched our mindset? That one is a thought you can have that will make you help you help you enjoy your day or because most people do this in the morning, right? They look at themselves while they're waiting in the shower or whatever. But it's like, yeah, is is thinking bad things about yourself going to help you have a good day? Or is saying like, you know what? I'm kind of cute. Is that gonna help you have a good day? You pick. I think so. I think that would definitely help to make my day a better day. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes I'll tap my little Tom and I'll be like, you're cute. Thank you. And that's it. And like, it doesn't have to be a big like poem to your body, but it literally is just being like, you're okay. Instead of, ooh, you know, the sad pity party. No pity parties. I don't like those. <laughs> yeah. No pity parties. No, <laughs> well, those are a waste of time. You got limited time. Like, don't waste it, you know? Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Terry, for being here. I've really enjoyed our conversation and learning more about how you do your own photography and and your thoughts about that and body positivity and body image. Such valuable information. And thank you. I appreciate your time. And and, uh, thanks again for being here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So until next time, consider asking yourself those questions. Take that two minutes and stand in front of the mirror. Just Look at yourself in the mirror, two minutes, that's all you need, and ask yourself those questions. And finally, what is that thought that you want to have about yourself? Because we are all beautiful inside and outside, and we all deserve to feel those wonderful feelings about ourselves and to believe in ourselves. Thanks so much for listening. If you like Coffee with Jenny B and want to know more, connect with Jenny on Instagram at Coffee with Jenny B. That's Jenny with a G. Until then, all you need is joy and more coffee. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. 
I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.